1 Corinthians in chapter 6, and I'll read the last two verses once again. The Apostle Paul, God's spokesman, God's servant, says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let's again ask God's help. Lord, do help us. Do bless us. Do teach us. Do smile upon us. O God, in mercy we pray. As you formed a a church in Corinth from those who heard and believed and were baptised, So, O God, make us to hear, not just with the ears on our heads, but with the ears of our very souls. Grant, O Lord, faith that believing we might each one obtain life in the name of Jesus Christ. And grant, O God, that all who believe might obey Jesus Christ by being baptised in the triune name and being joined to the church of the living Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. This world and everyone in it by nature are marked by a spirit of self-determination. It may not be the global slogan, but Frank Sinatra's famous song with its refrain, I did it my way, could be written over every life here. Self-government, self-direction, my body... My choice, the slogan that we so often hear. I'm my own man, we say. I'm my own woman. No one tells me what to do. I call the shots around here, says the human heart. It is the instinct of a fallen world to exalt and enthrone self in your soul. The creature, men and women like us, the things that are around us, those things are celebrated and that's what dominates. It's what I can get, it's what I can do, it's what I can feel. And so often the creator is sidelined and dismissed. Corinth, like Crawley, and like the place, town, city, village, wherever you live, was ruled by this idol self. It was dominated by desires and appetites for for pleasure, for prosperity. Corinth was known, as I've mentioned, in the ancient world for its vileness and its perversion. If Corinth had had a BBC, then they would have been celebrating exactly the same wickednesses and ungodlinesses as is the case in our country. Sexual immorality of all kinds was rife in Corinth. It was a world very much like ours. And in Corinth, there were people who had been saved from sin, saved from the sin in their own hearts and saved from the sin in their society. They are described right at the beginning of this letter as the church of God, which is at Corinth. Paul writes to them, And if you'd said the church of God in the ancient world, where do you think it would be? I think most people who knew Corinth would have said, well, wherever it is, it won't be Corinth. 
How could you find a pure people in Corinth? How could you find people who honour God in a place like that? But this is where the good news of Jesus Christ had been preached. This is where people had heard about the Lord Jesus. Hearing they had under the power of God's spirit believed into Jesus Christ and they'd been made new, new creatures in the Saviour. And that salvation had restored them to God. And it had straightened them out, it had sorted them out, it had renewed them body and soul. You see, this isn't a case of SOS, save our souls. It's save all of me, my whole humanity, my body and my spirit, everything I am, everything I have, all I think and feel and do must be touched by salvation or it is not the salvation of the Bible. And the church in Corinth needed to grasp that because the world around them had not given up on its self-exaltation. And there was a battering against the church, as there is still today. Think the way we think. Assume what we assume. Go the way we go. Live the way we live. And Corinth would have been full of things and people that would have seduced and allured, tempting God's people off the straight and narrow way. And Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters, you need to know who you are. You know where you are. You're in Corinth. But you need to know where you are spiritually, who you are in your souls. You are in Christ Jesus. You don't belong to Corinth anymore. You don't belong to this fallen world. And that is true of every Christian. And if it's not true of you, it is because you are not a Christian. It doesn't matter what else you may think about yourself. It doesn't matter how religious you have been. It doesn't matter how long you have been attending a church, even a faithful gospel church. It doesn't matter if you've been sprinkled as a baby, confirmed as a teenager, baptised as an adult, maybe over and over and over again. If there has not been a breach between you and this world, if you have not left your sin and been joined to Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian and you are still on your way to hell. Unless and until... You turn to Jesus Christ and trust in him. That's what had happened in Corinth. A church had been formed. And Paul wants them to remember in verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? And that's not just a question that Elijah needs to answer and Danasha needs to answer. It's a question that every Christian needs to reckon with. And if you're not a Christian, you need to reckon with it in some senses, just as if not more importantly. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There are four things from these verses that I want to draw to your attention. The first is the Lord's place. The Lord's place. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? The Holy Spirit indwells every true Christian. He has taken up residence in our hearts. It is true for the church as a whole. You can go back, for example, to chapter 3 and verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 
And Paul's speaking there of the whole congregation. See, a church isn't a building. A church is a people. And that people are the people of God. Living stones, who says the same apostle to the Ephesian church, are built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. But the point that Paul is making here is that each living stone is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's not just the group as a whole, it's every member in the group. It's not just the whole body, it's every member of the true body of God, of Jesus Christ. Paul says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You see, still today, as in Corinth and elsewhere, there would be people who would say, well, as long as my soul's okay, I can do what I like with my body. I can live as I please, I can go where I want, I can be with who I want to be with, as if my soul can belong to God, but my body, well, that's still for me, I can do what I like with that. Paul says, not so. If you are a Christian, this body is God's. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your humanity, body and soul. God himself dwells in the heart of of each one of his people. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that glorious? God in us. Christ with us and the Holy Spirit in us. Saved for his use and set apart for his glory. You don't earn it. You can't demand it. It is the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. It is a sovereign and gracious gift. The Spirit given to you a gracious reality. And that is a source of wonder. It's a reason for humility. And it's hope and it's joy and it's peace for everyone who believes. So, if you are a Christian, you individually, as well as the church of which you are a part, you are the Lord's place. You are the residence of of God. Elijah and Danashe, you may not be able to say there was that particular moment that I recognize when the Holy Spirit moved in, but that is your testimony now. He is in you, and that is why you are alive, not just in your normal breathing sense, but in your very souls this morning. The Christian is the Lord's place, and therefore the Christian is the Lord's property. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Well, that cuts across just about everything that this society says and demands, doesn't it? Christian, you are not your own. How, how dare anybody tell me this? How dare anybody cut across what I wish? And what? No, if you're a Christian, and not, well, I guess I'm not my own then, but I am no longer my own. That's not a complaint from a believer. That's a statement of delight and of joy. You are not your own any longer. And you are not societies. You don't march to the tune of this culture. You don't belong to your school. You don't belong even to your family, to your parents or your brothers and sisters. You don't belong to your friends. You don't belong to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You don't belong to your GP or any other doctor or scientist. It is not your body and your choice. You are God's because the Holy Spirit is in you. You belong to somebody else. 
And that's peace and that's delight and that's relief. Which means that this humanity now, body and spirit, I am a steward of what God has given me. I don't call the shots. Not for this humanity, not for what I think, not for what I do, not for where I go, not for what I want. It's not my choice. I'm a servant. A servant of the God who has saved me. A servant of the God who has redeemed me, body and soul. Now, do you recognise this? Or do you resist this? And that's another way of saying, are you really a Christian or aren't you? Because if you're there in your saga, perhaps not even, it's easier to be angry with me than it is with God at this point. Who does that man think he is saying that I'm not my own? I, me, my own. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're one of Christ's. Not if you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you would say, what gives God the right to call anybody his? Paul answers the question. You are not your own. Don't you realise that? Don't you know that? Why, Paul? What gives you the authority to say that? On what basis can anybody say that they belong to God first and not even to themselves or anybody else? You were bought at a price. We all know how that works, doesn't it? Have you got some stuff? What did you do? You paid for it. Perhaps you go into some supermarket and you, you pick something up, you go to the till, you swipe it or you, you speak to that person. You remember the days when you actually spoke to somebody and paid for it actually at the till? And then you, you go and uh, 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 whatever the alarm is in the supermarket where you attend... And let's be honest, usually the guard just goes, hmm, and you walk out anyway. But suppose he stopped you. Suppose he said, can I please have a look, sir, madam, in your bag? And he looks inside and there's something there and he looks at you quizzically. How would you respond at that point? This is mine. This is mine. Here's the receipt. I paid for this. I've paid a price. It belongs to me now. It's my property and it's mine to do with as I wish. Christian, you were bought at a price. You see, not only are you a steward of your body and spirit in the light of God, your creator, but you are a steward of your body and your spirit in light of God as redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ has paid a price for the freedom from sin and death and hell that God's people enjoy. Another, another apostle, Peter, he puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. You need to know that you were not redeemed, that is, you were not bought back with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is what those who are already with Christ celebrate. 
In chapter 5 of the book of Revelation and verse 8 and following, you've got there this, this song that is sung. There are four living creatures, there are 24 elders, and they sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We've been working our way as a church through Luke's gospel and we've come to that awesome sequence. Gethsemane, the garden where Christ begins to sweat under the pressure of the sin that descends upon him and the fearful nature of the sufferings through which he is now passing. And he cries out, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Gethsemane. Then a place called Gabbatha, the pavement, where he is abused and he is maltreated. He is spat upon, he is scourged, he is scorned, he is mocked. His crown of thorns is put upon his head. His body is pulped until it's barely recognisable. And then he goes up to the place called Calvary, to Golgotha. And there he is nailed to a cross. And there his life's blood is poured out as he dies in the place of his people. And in Gethsemane and in Kabatha and in Golgotha, you see the price that is being paid in order that his people might be set free. And there is no freedom without the death of Jesus Christ. There is no putting away of sin without the shedding of his blood. And Danashe and Elijah, like every Christian here, once we were slaves. That's what we looked at when the boys gave their testimony in Romans chapter 6. That you've been set free from sin and you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm not my own anymore. And I'm not bound then to go in the ways of wickedness. This is the Christian's liberty. That I am not my own, but I have been ransomed, bought at no lesser price than the precious blood of Jesus of Nazareth, God's son who came in the flesh so that I might not die, but live. This is your security. For if Christ has died for you, no one can pluck you out of his hand. Once in him, in him forever, thus the eternal covenant stands. And this is your dignity. This is why when the world comes knocking, when perhaps family or friends say think like this, act like this, when society tries to impose its priorities, its principles, its rules upon you, the Christian man or woman can stand with humble dignity and say, I am not bound to walk your way. When Satan tempts you, you're able to say, I will not obey you you are no longer my master i serve the best of masters i serve the king of kings and the lord of lords who loved me and gave himself for me it's not your powerful pledge that makes you holy it's not the fact that Danashe and Elijah are going to go into the water that is going to give them some kind of a supernatural change and going to turn their lives around it is this, that the Christ of God has died for them. They have trusted in him. And God in his mercy in due time 
by the working of his spirit in them, has brought them to Jesus Christ, giving them repentance and faith, that they, being joined to him, might now live and walk in newness of life. So, boys, when you're fighting that battle, don't look to yourself. Look to him, to him who loved you and gave himself for you. It is Christ who saves by faith and it is Christ who sustains. You trust in him and you walk in his light. And his dying in your place, that's your great motive to holiness. Do you not find that, Christian? That when the battle is joined and when Satan is tempting you, when it seems like everything's rising up within you, when it's ready to erupt out of you, when anger or greed or lust or pride or whatever it may be, Where do you need to go back? I was bought at a price. Christ died that I might be his and that I might live for him. And that means that once you're a Christian, every decision that you make and every action that you take needs to be taken and worked out in the light of a crucified Jesus. In the light of the cross. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, that's just for the, you know, the, the really freaky Christians. That's just for the people who take this way too seriously. That's just for the, 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 the super saints. My friends, this is normal Christianity. This is just the way that God's people live in Corinth, in Crawley, or anywhere else. And if you cannot live like this, Because you do not have the Holy Spirit. If you will not live like this because you have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, then you should stop fooling yourself that you're a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you are not your own. If you're a Christian, you've been bought at a price. And if you're a Christian, now you glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to Him. You are the Lord's place. The Spirit dwells in you. You are the Lord's property. You're not your own, but his. You are the Lord's own purchase. Christ died to make you his. And you therefore follow the Lord's pursuits. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now that's not drift along and hope things work out. That's not hide your light and hope that no one knows. That's not water down your testimony. What did you do on Sunday? I went to church. I went to church. It may be a great start to a conversation, but if the highest your testimony to Jesus Christ rises is I go to church, you have not told anybody the good news. I'm going to glorify God in my body and my spirit. Not on Sundays alone, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I will seek to glorify him waking and sleeping. I'll glorify him in my relations as a son or a daughter, as a father or a mother, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife. I'll glorify him at home and I'll glorify him at work or at school. I'll glorify him in what I think, in what I feel and in what I do. I will, God helping me, be marked by purity in an impure world. These boys, 
like everyone who names the name of Christ in these days, is going to be bombarded with just the same kinds of wickedness that were characteristic in Corinth. But you are to glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which belong to him. It's a reason for your industry. Why do you work? Do you work to play? Not if you're a Christian. Do you work just to make money so you can enjoy yourself a bit more? Not if you're a Christian. You work for the glory of God. And you serve in the church of Jesus Christ. You find your niche. You find your place. You pour yourself out for the honour and glory of his name. It's the source of your humility. It's no longer about me. It's no longer what I can get, or who knows or who sees. I glorify God in my body. I glorify God in my spirit. They are his. My God has made me. My God has bought me. The Father has given his own Son to redeem me. The Son has given himself in order that I might have the life that is now in him by virtue of his glorious resurrection. And the Spirit has been given to me that I may know that life and its power. See, if this is God's temple, are you going to bring something in that's foul, that's dirty? that desecrates and defiles. Some of you have put on your Sunday best. I understand there's some goat curry. What would happen if you spilt it all down yourself? Spoiled it, ruined it. Not only can I not eat the curry, but look at me. This was clean. This was pure. This was good stuff. And now it's filthy and foul. Why are we so concerned about the clothes that we wear? So concerned about the smudges on our skin? So concerned about washing our hands before we eat? And often so little regarding the fact that this body is God's temple. And it belongs to him. And I need to keep it and ensure that it remains clean. Christians have been saved for beauty and for utility to ornament the church of Jesus Christ and to serve in the church of Jesus Christ. And this is their peace. And this is their joy. And this is their happiness. We didn't sing, did we? Tragic, the man who finds the grace, the wisdom of God's fallen race. No, happy, happy. God's people are happy. They're free. They belong to Jesus Christ. They have joys here and joys to come. No true Christian resents this, but rejoices over it. We don't resist it. We embrace it. We don't reject it. We receive it. We don't rebel against it. I am for the God who has loved me and has saved me. And that, my friend, is the testimony of true Christianity. Those of you who are married, those of you who may be looking forward to marriage, was your wedding day a miserable day? Did you think of it as, oh man, I've got to go through all of that? And there you are, and oh, well, some of you teenage lads might still be thinking like that. You're wrong, but I'm telling you now. <laughs> but there will come a time when you will rejoice. The Christian has been married to Jesus Christ. And no bride should rejoice over her belonging to her groom 
more than a Christian rejoices that we belong to Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom of our hearts. And we are his beloved. And that's our joy. And that's our security. And that's our peace. Because he has undertaken to be ours. And he has made us his own. You will never lose in Christ. This is gain. Yes, through many tribulations you will enter the kingdom of heaven. But that's a deal worth making. That's a life worth living. That's a death you can die. And that's an everlasting joy that you can appreciate. You see, a Christian isn't a caged man or woman anymore. That's what sin does to you. Puts you in a cell. Locks you up. Puts cuffs on you. It is Christ who sets us free. Sometimes say to people walking around Maidenbower, you'll, you'll often see somebody who's got just enough money to live in Maidenbower, just enough money to buy a beautiful car, and the car sits on their driveway. Sometimes the tyres have they've deflated. You see the rust beginning to set in. They try to put one of those covers over it to keep it clean, and, and you can see that the cover's covered in mould and filth and muck. I sometimes say, do you ever do anything with that? Do you ever enjoy that car? What's that made to do? It's mouldering on your driveway. Is that what the car was designed for? Shouldn't that be out on the open road? Shouldn't that be, you'd be putting your foot down and you know, driving at a very safe speed, enjoying yourself <laughs> on the motorway or the back road? But, but the car's for something, isn't it? It's designed to do something and it's not that. This is designed to do something. This body, this spirit. It is for God, for his glory. My friend, while you remain trapped in Satan's bonds, a slave to sin, you cannot glorify God in your body or your spirit. But if Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. Free to live for him and not for the world and not for yourself and offer any of these siren voices that keep calling you. Think like this. Go like this. Act like this. Make these your priorities. No, you're God's man. God's woman. God's boy. God's girl. And you may be here thinking, then this isn't me. I have used my body for unrighteousness. These hands, these eyes, these ears, these feet, this flesh places I've been, the things I've done, the desires that I've had, the sins that I've committed. How could I be clean? How could I be made whole? How could I have my body, this body in which I've sinned against God as the temple of the Holy Ghost? Perhaps even thinking of it, the guilt comes back and the shame comes back and you're in a world where people try to be brave and even bravado bubbles up and say, oh, no, no, I'm going to make much of my sin. I'm going to live like this. I'm going to do this. But in your soul, and when it's quiet, perhaps in the darkness of the night, perhaps after you've thrown yourself into whatever passion you're pursuing, the guilt and the shame are real. How are you going to be free? How are you going to be clean? How is the Holy Spirit going to take up residence in you? If you are washed, if you are cleansed, sanctified, 
justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You only need to go back a few more verses from the ones we read. Chapter 6, verse 9. This is what the Apostle says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Are you in the catalogue? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's the wonder of Corinth. And that's the glory of the cross. It's the scandal of the cross. It's what offends so many people. These kinds of people. You know, I'm glad they're not going to be in heaven. Oh yes, they will be, but not as they once were. They've been washed. And so can you be. They've been set apart to God. And so can you be. They have been declared righteous before God in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so may you be, if you will come to Jesus Christ now. Confess your sins and trust in him to make you clean and whole. May I offer comfort to some of you who may say, it's not so much what I've done, it's what's been done to me. I have suffered. I feel unclean. I feel shame, that self-loathing that sometimes cripples us. The answer to that, my friend, is not more self-esteem. It's not to dress yourself up. It's not to perform or pretend. I hope that nobody sees the cracks. It's to come to the Christ who can make you whole. Who will receive you as you are. Who will love you freely who will receive you to himself and who will put you back together for the glory of his own name. You see, it's not what you do, it's what he's done. It's not what you can pay, it's what he has paid. It's not what strength you have, weak one, but his mightiness. You come to Christ. He can make you clean. He can make you whole. And the Spirit of God will take up residence in your heart and this life will be yours I hope you're not here this morning saying not me I'm not going to bow to this God I'm going to live my life I'm going to go my way my choice my goals my priorities I'll do what I want where I want when I want with whom I want I will never bow to this Jesus my friend that is simply not true because when this same Jesus comes again in his glory every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord every knee will bow of those in heaven those on earth and those under the earth and this Jesus will be then not a saviour for his people but a judge to his enemies if you will not bow to Jesus Christ, you are damned now. And you will be condemned in the day of judgment. And I plead with you to come to Christ. Do not resist this. Do not resent this. Do not reject this. Do not rebel against it. That way is death. But the way of Christ 
is the way of life. When Danashe and Elijah go down into this baptismal pool, they're not becoming Christians. You don't sprinkle babies or dunk them. You don't baptize people to make them holy. This is not a ritual that bestows anything because I'm doing it or because the water is special or because you know, we've set these boys through some series of rituals beforehand. This is a testimony. It says, I have died. Died with Jesus Christ to sin. And I am rising again in Christ to live a new life. It speaks outwardly of what has happened inwardly. It is the day when a Christian says before the church and the world, I am his he is mine. I am not my own. I know that. I have been bought at a price. And by the help of the Christ whom I here testify, I will glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which are God's. That's what Danashe, that's what Elijah are saying to us in their words and their deeds this morning. Do you live for him who died for you? This is true Christianity. This is life. This is health. This is peace. Amen. Amen.